Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Movie Geeks United. We're here to share the March Blu-ray releases. I'm Jamie, and as always, our trusted cohort, Adam, the Blu-ray guru. <laughs> that is I, of course. Yeah, and, um, you know, before we get started with the Blu-ray stuff, you you want to talk a little bit about the Oscars since we no, didn't do a... We didn't do a post-mortem or anything, so you want to... I didn't know if you wanted to or not, but thought I'd bring, bring in, give you the opportunity. <sighs> Where do we start? <laughs> By this point, it's like old hat. It's been talked it to is. death in our, in our absence. Yeah, it kind of has. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a lot of people were asking me, you know, what did you... Uh, what did you obviously, the slap and you know, me being a movie guy, what did you think and all this stuff. And I said, well, the slap was the... was. You know, I, I was angry ten minutes into the show, so the slap was just like icing on the cake for the rest of the program because they they got it wrong right from the get go, and you know, within the first ten minutes, they wasted ten minutes right then and there that they could have given to those editors and production designers and you know, composers and all that stuff with uh, you know silly you know well just banter that really didn't do anything for me and. You know, and then it just kind of went got worse. You know, when you think James Bond, you think um, skateboarders. You know, so they had Tony Hawk uh, <laughs> intro the 60th Ridiculous. anniversary of the Bond franchise, <laughs> and then you have you know the the, the much ballyhooed Godfather 50th. Ballyhoo, I love that word. Yeah, and you know everybody. It was in it was the talk of the of the you know the post uh, pre-Oscar talk about the Godfather they're going to do a 50th tribute which was really a non-event I thought they had you know, yeah. two uh, one cast member from the first one and uh, well one cast member from from all three and the uh, <laughs> and then the other one from who appeared just in the second one and then Coppola and, and they didn't even give De Niro or Pacino the opportunity to talk and so you know well whatever they were there for moral support I guess but it's the best, uh, you know, we talked about it, it's the best moment of the night when he thanked Robert mm -hmm. Evans. It was. Yeah. Truly was. And yeah. no, nobody would get that unless, you know, you're a movie fan. Mm -hmm. And what movie fan would watch the Oscars anymore? Yeah, right. <laughs> Other than us. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. Everybody's talking about, you know, the, the slap and all this stuff. And, you know, that's what happens, you know, when you try to make an event... Uh, mainstream when it's not for mainstream people it's you know it's not it's never been a mainstream event it's for people who really love and appreciate movies and if you're trying to make it some cultural event that's you know the general public is going to suddenly have an interest in when they really haven't ever uh, I, I think that's a that's a that's your first mistake well there's some, definitely some kind of interesting dynamic going on between Will Smith and his wife yeah, there is there. That's for sure. Um, so I'm sure they'll they'll be untangling that mess for a long time. Yeah, for sure. But, but uh, uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't even think his joke was an insult. No, no. If he if he didn't know about her alopecia, which I'm assuming that he didn't, mm -hmm. the joke isn't an insult. If anything, right. it's a, it's a compliment joke. Yeah. Unless unless you have some stance against women serving in the military or something. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, uh, yeah, the rumor has floated around a while that he was, uh, you know, there's a little something going on with him. That's I've heard those rumors, and I think this kind of 
solidified that, uh, gave it a little validity, shall we say. So um, anyway, you know, it, it um, you know, and then, of course, it ended well, with how, the how long? How long do you think his career uh, holding pattern will last? It's a good question. That's a good question. And he, it had kind of been on a downward trajectory for the last couple of years anyway, if I'm, if I'm not incorrect on that, I believe I am correct. Uh, and so this was kind of a, you know, a resurgence, I guess. Uh, you know, this was his moment to kind of uh, get back into the public eye and kind of be relevant again after a couple of misfires. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's uh, that's, that's a good question. I know the Bad Boys, they were, they were supposed to be another... It was talk of another Bad Boys film. Well, plus, he's got so, a slave drama from Anton Fuqua that's coming yeah, out. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah that they true. say is, was geared to be really acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I've heard the Bad Boys discussions. They've already just taken that off the table. They're not even talking about it at this point. But uh, uh, I don't know. Money talks, though. So considering how much money that last Bad Boys film did, I, I don't know that that's gonna that this is gonna stop them in the uh when it's all said and done did it make enough that last bad boys i think it did pretty well i think it was close to i want to say close to the 200 million mark for a january release which was a bit of a surprise yeah it was it was a big shock it was a it was i know it played for quite a while of course it was right before the pandemic struck and i think it was one of the top five grossing films of the year of course you know that was a year when you know things were definitely off but still uh, it did did quite well so um i i don't know uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the long-term ramifications are and and um well there have really. always been moments like this um you know and i don't know that we're in 50 years from now will we be will we be talking about it like we talked still talk about the naked streaker and all that kind of stuff that's true i don't yeah. know if our if our investment in history is strong enough for 50 years from now people even remember what the oscars are i don't think so but, I, I think it's, it's um, um coming to a point where it's we've talked about this off the air where we, i think it's just going to be streaming it's going to be an event on you know you see it on youtube or right and i'm, like I'm good with that i think it i think it, i think the oscars would be better off on streaming it would be a better yeah. show because but they would they they wouldn't have all the mandates from we got to keep up with the advertisers. We got to satisfy. We got to produce a show that satisfies the advertisers to keep the mm-hmm. ratings up. They they would wouldn't be bothered with that necessarily. It's true. It's a good point. And uh, I think the thing that's really hurting them a lot is that, you know the Oscar the organization the Oscars they they need that ABC money that they get uh, for their organization and I think that's why they're so eager to kowtow, shall we say uh, yeah. to do whatever. They asked them to do uh, because they need that money. Well, it's just, you know, it's Amazon uh, and Netflix have pretty deep pockets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is true. So I don't know. I think it's um, you know, and everybody's crowing about it that it, oh, the ratings are up. The ratings are up. Yeah, but compared to to what? <laughs> That's my question. Um, it's just we're in a different culture, and you know, I know people have said this. I'm not saying anything revelatory, but we're in a different moment. In, culture and you know people just you can't you know the toothpaste has come out of the tube you can't put it back in people are in their own little niche doing their own little thing like i am watching blu-rays all the time which is what i do to talk about here so it's uh, i'm guilty of it too you know so everybody does 
their own little thing. There's no collective uh, moments anymore that we can all talk about over the water cooler or, the, or whatever, like we used to be able to. Uh, well, what's offensive, years. what was really offensive was just, I mean, obviously the slap is offensive, but mm-hmm. it's also the just the total complicity, just the standing ovation he got minutes later when he won the award. and mm-hmm. um, It's not a good look. I mean, I remember... Back when Ilya Kazan won his honorary Oscar. Yeah. And, um, you know, there were people sitting uh, and and refusing to clap for him. Yeah, that's right. And then, Harris, and then other, think, yeah. yeah, and then others were standing up and, which is, you know, that's, a, that's an appropriate, um, response because he was a controversial figure. Oh yeah. Very I just saw a yeah. De Niro interview where he addressed that. Mm-hmm. I never heard him address it before. Really? And he said, you know, Kazan was an idol for me, and I did his last movie, and I presented him the honorary Oscar, and a lot of people rightfully have very mixed feelings about him. They don't feel good about what he did, and uh, I don't either. Mm-hmm. And yet I recognize that people are complicated, and that he still has a legacy that changed American cinema. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that cannot be overlooked. And, I mean, he, he has a body of work that, uh, again, as you were just saying, it stands the test of time. We're talking about his movies, uh, you know, 70 years on. Yeah. So. And you could say that Pol- that uh, Polanski and all that kind of stuff, the, <clears throat> uh, the Academy was too slow to boot him out. Um, you know, Woody Allen was never a member of the Academy. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, uh, you know, they didn't do what they did on stage. Like it wasn't, it it didn't occur during a moment in the live telecast that would forever be associated with the Oscar ceremony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes, exactly. It's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. So really, I mean, that's a, you know, I don't know, what whatever, whatever. Yeah. It was it was fun to talk about for a day, and then. Like everything else, it got old fast. The, the more people just droned on about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's a gift old... to Chris Rock because someday he's going to have a hell of a routine about it. Like you, you know, he's going to make gold out of it comically. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, it's um, I, I don't know. It's. Do you think this is going to have any overall? Um, uh, damage do do any overall damage to the Oscars? And do you think in the long run, do you, or do you think they'll just be able to next year business as usual kind of? I don't know. You know. Maybe it's maybe I think they're already going downhill. Maybe it it will come to represent the death knell of the Oscars. I'm not sure. I've heard that, and that uh, I I wonder about that too. That's why I was asking. I you know I'm curious because I I think there there could be some repercussions. People may start seeing the Oscars for what it really is. That it's so it's such an outdated thing and and trying to uh appeal to people who don't care about it is um is a fool's errand as yeah. they say so uh man you watch some of those old shows though you watch some of those numbers gosh oh, yeah some of them are just so embarrassing just like cheese central man <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we had the great musical theater uh people in film Mm-hmm. So you could you could bring on Gene Kelly and 
Yeah, sure. Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. You know, you had an endless talent pool to do these grandiose opening numbers. What was the year when they did the big opening number in front of the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion? It was all outdoors. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I know the one you're talking about, but I'm not sure what year that was. I'd have to, have to do some research. I mean, people complain about the Rob Lowe thing, and that's, that's true. I mean, that's like... Uh, I, I, I wish they would have cut to the audience more often so we could have seen the look of what the hell is going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's like the pinnacle, but, you know, yeah, a true. lot a lot of that opening number stuff has been embarrassing and yeah. vaudevillian over the years, you know. But, you know, the th- but there's a certain charm to a lot of people give, you know, Al- Alan Carr and that whole Snow White thing, they, they give him a lot of uh, crap for what he did that year, but you know he was a movie guy. He really, truly loved movies, and mm-hmm. he was he was really trying. His heart was in the right place. Yeah, it was pretty disastrous, I, I admit it. But you know, it was uh, you know he 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 was of that generation of people who really did love the movies that he grew up with and grew up on, and uh, he was trying to pay homage in some odd way to that. So well, I have no doubt, but yeah. You know, you go through that whole period, months of mm-hmm. of coming up with the idea and rehearsing it and executing it, and nobody says anything. That's true too. Yeah. Like, how does that talk about compl- complicity? Mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody has yeah. any idea. You got Rob Lowe singing "Proud Mary" to Snow White. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. I, uh, you know, it, it, it really is. I'm not defending what what the ultimate result was, but I, I just I feel like his um, his heart was in the in a place that the people who are in charge now their hearts aren't in that same place. They're not coming from that same place, and I, I guess that's the point I'm trying to yeah. make. And it's kind of sad in a way, um, even if the end result is disastrous as it was that year. Um, yeah. It's I don't know. It's uh, I almost didn't watch. I think you called me uh, just a couple hours before it happened, and you kind of sort of talked me into it. <laughs> it. Got me a little enthusiastic, and so I watched it. But I had threatened not to uh, for the first time since since 1992. It would have been the first time in 30 years that I had missed a telecast. Mm. But uh, I watched it, and I can't say I'm the better for it. But and we talked about it. I I really like the um, the reunion stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. would have liked it to maybe been done a little differently, but Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. But if they do that every year, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Just don't do like the twenty eighth anniversary of Pulp Fiction. I'm like, what the hell is a twenty eighth anniversary? That just felt weird. I know. What what comes next? The twenty sixth and three quarters? Yeah. You know, or something like that. So yeah. Makes you wonder what's next. And you and I talked about it. It should should have been Titanic. Like Absolutely. DiCaprio and Cameron and Winslet on the 25th anniversary of Titanic. Yeah, what a missed opportunity. It's 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 terrible, and that was probably the pinnacle of the Oscar telecast. I and would the say. James Bond thing should have been, um, you know, probably wasn't uh, possible scheduling. They might mm-hmm. have they might have called, and because neither one of them were there, Caprio or or Winslet, so that they might have actually tried, and it didn't yeah. work. And I was thinking they could, they should have had Daniel Craig and Pierce Brosnan on for the Bond thing instead of the extreme sports figures. Yeah, but Daniel, right. Daniel Craig's on Broadway. I mean, they might have tried that too. We, That's we true. just don't know. Well, they could have had Lazenby and uh, Brosnan. That would have even worked, I think. But you know, whatever. 
They could, have had, if... they could have had Denise Richards. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They could have brought Madonna on and she could have recreated that uh, fencing. Yeah. She did in uh, was Die Another Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's, um, hmm. It's just, it. I don't know. What did you think of the In Memoriam this year? Uh, did you think it was satisfactory? We always are. Uh... I like that they tried to do something different with it. I know that a lot of people had a problem with it because the the um, it wasn't full screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have any problem seeing it. And I, I think it w- went with the theme of, uh, which made it different. The more gospel tinge to it celebrated their life instead of mourn their passing mm-hmm. I, I, I like the sentiment of that yeah if not the execution so much but and i like that every once in a while somebody would go up and say something personal about one of the people um even though that's bound to piss people off because you can't do that with all 50 names that pop up on screen that's true yeah but uh you know it's kind of it's kind of a thankless thing because you're always going to leave somebody out this is true yeah this is very true and i um you know i i think um uh, tcm does such a exemplary job of their uh, in memoriams that they put together and when you see what they do which i they recently put the one for 2021 together oh it's then you really are kind of sad because you see how it's really supposed to be done. Yeah, but so do you want it to be a film package or because it's usually been tied into a performance? Yeah, that's at true. the Oscars. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess you could choose to just do the film package. Yeah, I, I think what they do really works very well. I think that they uh, they they would it would serve them well to at least make an attempt to do something similar. But you know what? What do I know? But, um, like how many people can like? What's the what's the saddest song ever written? So we can really bring the audience down. <laughs> well, they did the way we were not too long ago, probably about ten years ago, and they did. I'm surprised they haven't done "Time in a Bottle" or something. But that's so short. Maybe that's the reason they, they can't get it. <laughs> they could have uh, slowed the, they've done "Wind Beneath My Wings." I'm sure. The, the, yeah, Miller I think herself so. did that. I'm sure they've done I'll Be Seeing You over the years. I believe so, yeah, I do remember. What about that Gordon Lightfoot song about all the people that drowned? Reckley and Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> yeah, they could do a seven-minute, Monte, because that's almost seven minutes. Yes, there you go. That, that would get the job done. Yeah. American Pie. That's that's about the death of something. <laughs> yeah, eight and a half minutes. There you go. Now you're talking. Yeah, exactly. True. Oh, gosh. Well, anyway, it. Uh, I, I thought that uh, we should at least uh, you know, acknowledge what happened two weeks ago because we haven't done a show since then. So you know, even, even though it's old news at this point, it's you know, we said we said something. We acknowledged yeah, it. Yeah, I think we've covered it. Yeah, we have. So anyway, well, let's uh, let's get down to the Blu-ray stuff. We got uh, you know, you in the last couple of months I've been doing the um, the Kino Lorber releases first and get all those out of the way because they do so many so i think i'm just going to go ahead and uh follow that uh, plan of attack once again we'll do the kino lorber studio classics and they're still pumping out these 4k titles and uh, this month was no exception on march 8th they issued the apartment in 4k i think this i may have mentioned this on a previous show but i think the date may have been shuffled a little bit on this uh, I think they may have had some issues there, so it may, it may have been talked about already. But anyway, they do have 
uh, a few new extras here. There's a new commentary by Joseph McBride, oh. and uh, some some archival stuff too. Uh, but you know, the big deal is the the 4K Ultra HD uh, remaster of the apartment. So and it's gonna be tough to. I didn't get a review copy of this, but it would be tough to for them to beat the uh, Arrow Academy uh, restoration of the apartment that was done a couple of years ago because that was. Uh, Fantastic! I have that one. And, Where uh, does that fall for you in Billy Wilder's filmography? I love it. I, I'm I'm a huge fan of it. I mean, I don't think it's quite as good as some like it hot, but uh, that's to me one of the greatest comedies of all time. But it's it's definitely in the top five. That's interesting. Um, I got to yeah. check it out again. I I, uh, I like I, it. I was uh, I was a little cold on it when I saw it many years ago. Mm-hmm. But I love, love, love Sunset Boulevard. But you know, who oh yeah, do, who that's, doesn't? that's yeah, it's above that for sure. I mean, uh, I mean, Sunset Boulevard is above the apartment for sure. I, and I saw a lo- film location video, and I can't remember who did it. They actually found the concrete curb where the title is stenciled in the in the very opening of the film. Wow, really? They, they found the exact curb. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I was like, geez, that's a dedication. It's in the middle oh. of a, bu- a busy intersection now. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, they pulled a lot of stuff off. The of mansion is demolished. I think a, like a CVS is where the mansion is or some office building I th- now. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm sure you know how they achieved the, the opening of Sunset Boulevard where William Holden is floating in the pool in there. You know, he's narrating. Yeah, yeah, tell <laughs> you know, me. It, they did it with a mirror. They they put a mirror on the bottom of the pool, and he was floating above the mirror, and the uh, the camera just zoomed in on the, uh, got the uh, the mirror in the uh, frame. And so basically what you're looking at is his reflection at the bottom of the pool mm-hmm. as William Holden is floating, and the mirror is capturing his reflection, and the, uh, the camera is capturing that. So that's how it's done. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting because you know it, it is unique in that we're looking at him you know face down in the pool at the beginning of the film so it's it's pretty how good. How long of a career did Buster Keaton have? I mean, how towards the end of his life, how often did he show up in movies? I don't even know because he's in that movie, right? He's in Sunset Boulevard, right? William Holden? No, Buster Keaton. Who who was it again? Buster Keaton. Oh yeah. Um, Gosh, he was doing those beach party films oh God. with Annette and Frankie. Yeah, he did. He was he was in all. I think he was pretty active until he died because he was doing those as late as 1965. Okay. But they had him in practically all of those. Uh, he would turn up in sometimes just a cameo, but he was he was active in the uh, Frankie and Annette films. So, mm, uh, yeah, right. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's in quite a few of them. So um, yeah, I think there's one that was actually released the year he died. I think so. Yeah, he was pretty pretty active but okay. anyway but yeah just to let uh, everyone know sunset boulevard isn't the movie that's being released on blu-ray in march it's it's a uh, it's the, the apartment. apartment we <laughs> always take the opportunity to talk about everything except <laughs> the film that <laughs> yeah. we're supposed to be spotlighting well i uh i you know there's i would say that ace in the hole is probably a little higher on the chain from mm. the apartment for me I, I, and double indemnity oh yeah double two, indemnity those are great. The uh, first location we went to see when we were in it LA. was yeah the house yeah terrific and that is coming out in 4K from Criterion so oh good in tease in a couple of months I think and unlike, unlike the Sunset Boulevard locations that that house is you know other than a different garage mm-hmm. it's untouched it seems oh like. yeah it's amazing it, yeah. it's like you just stepped into the film it mm. is amazing yeah 
So uh, another 4K H Ultra HD title that uh, was issued in March is Touch of Evil. Charlton Heston, Janet Leigh, Orson Welles. I think this is another one that may have got pushed. Yeah. I think it was announced previously, and I think we've talked about this one before too. But uh, again, same thing: uh, a new commentary and an archive with uh, Tim Lucas, and then the archive commentary with uh, the late FX Feeney, and uh, some some other carryover materials. And um, FX Feeney, and, I liked him. Yeah, he was good. Uh, I really regret not having because he did the commentary for the Towering Inferno, and uh, he. I was thinking about doing something for the Towering Inferno, but just never could figure out exactly what to do. So so many of the cast and crew were deceased. And then it occurred to me that FX Feeney would be a good uh, resource because he did the commentary on the Blu-ray. And I thought, oh, this would be great. And then literally within days of me coming up with that idea, he passed away. It was mentioned that he had a stroke. So here's a question. Yeah. If you're putting together a Towering Inferno show and and O.J. Simpson was given to you. (laughs) (laughs) Would would you do the interview? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that would that would be a tough one. Um, if we just stuck to the Towering Inferno and talked about nothing but his right. time making the Towering Inferno, maybe because that was before everything else that happened. So maybe we could get away with that one if we just stuck yeah, to that. Stuff before he decided to, to make his own disaster movie. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I, uh, I don't know. I guess I'd do it. I don't know. It's fun. It's funny you mention that because David Zucker was on uh, Gilbert and Frank's podcast, uh, Gilbert Godfrey, and um, anyway, uh, he was. They were asking him how OJ was uh, during the making of the film, and he said that they said he was uh, he was fine. We shot uh, you know Naked Gun thirty three and a third, and uh, we went to the rap party, and he said uh, I sold him my knife collection, and that was it. <laughs> so that was a, that was a joke, right? That's a joke, yeah. Okay. Of course, <laughs> yeah. So it was David Zucker, yeah, kind of acknowledging that. But he did say that he saw him turn on a dime one time when he was uh, reading excerpts from, I think it was Howard Cosell's autobiography, and he was doing it in Howard Cosell's voice. And there's a section in there where he talks about how O.J. was not as good as he thought he was, and really? he started reading it out loud to just, you know, kind of kid him, kid, kidding around with him. And he did not take it well at all. He said he turned like 180 right there, and he said he saw for a second, you know, a flash of. The real, the other OJ that people, you know, he said he was so pleasant up until that moment, and he said I was just kind of interesting because all, all the, all the clips I've seen, and you know, I'm not a scholar on this, mm-hmm. obviously. It's just, he, uh, Cosell is seems in awe of him, and and OJ is very reciprocal in his respect for Cosell. It seems like in the clips that I've seen, but. It was something. Maybe it was a technical uh, detail that he got wrong. That might have been what it was. It might have not. It maybe wasn't anything derogatory. It might have just been something that was like a, a you know a statistic that was wrong or something. But anyway, whatever it was, it just really hit him the wrong way, and it, mm. it was uh, it, that was very telling. I thought. So yeah, well, he said o- we OJ's, saw flash. OJ's is just a couple hours away from me. That's right. So you yeah. s- you say the word. I'll I'll see if I can lasso him for the show. <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. I like the Tyreek Inferno a lot, though. I do. Oh, I do, too. Yeah. it's uh, It was the you know it was the film that put me on the path. What can I tell you? And, yeah. uh, is, you it know, the my, best, is it the best Irwin Island? I guess it is. I think it is. Yeah. I, think, I think it's unbeatable. Uh, it's just, you know, it, everything after that was really an afterthought. And everything up to it was leading up to that. Everything before that was leading up to that moment. But, yeah, I still, you know, 
I think about my father, you know, and he his decision to take me to see that when I was four years old, and I still don't know what he was thinking, but I'm sure glad he did. <laughs> He's not the only suspected murderer in that movie, OJ. Oh yeah, that's right, Robert Wagner. Yes, that's right. Wow. That's true. Wow. Good. A curious movie that is that turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, for for different reasons. Yeah, and, and then they you... and then they a lot of them drown at the end of it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that I'm yeah, that's, yeah that's, if you want to. Yeah, I heard that you know, Faye Dunaway was really uh, obviously she has her diva like behavior and it was really in full display in that film. And I think that she had a really William Holden basically had a moment where he just lost it with her. And then I thought it was funny that I guess they they were able to deal, you know, to get past all that because they worked together two years later mm-hmm. at work. So I guess there's he, not there's not a making of book on that, is there? No, there isn't. Uh, that's a shame. It would be great. Uh, boy, would I. Because, you know, it was a historic film. It was a film that, you know, for the first time ever, two studios combined their forces. I mean, that was a big deal in 1974. So, and it looks good. It doesn't look cheap. I mean, it was. Oh, know, no, no. You know the effects were they used the whatever capability they they had at the time to to their maximum advantage because it doesn't look bad or fakey at all. I know, yeah. the the uh, The model of the building, I think, it was built on the uh, the Fox Ranch, I believe, is where they we did, where they put they built that, and it was actually about twenty five stories tall. Mm. <laughs> the actual model was mm. so it was it was pretty big. You know, the, uh, being a model, it was still big. Because the film is uh, the building is so huge in the film. It was set in San Francisco, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. very convincing. Yeah, and of course, let's not forget. You talk about the Oscars. That was uh, an Oscar nomination for Fred Astaire for best supporting actor for that film. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that still always strikes me as odd. I mean, that strikes me. That that's like airport. Right, the, the Oscar Hayes. Oscar win for Airport, right? The supporting actress, right? For, yeah, uh, Helen Hayes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I just, uh, I, 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 that this is a factoid that always stuck in my brain. It's like, well, Fred Astaire. It's a good trivia question. What was the last film Fred Astaire got his Oscar <laughs> nomination for? And they'll be going through all the musicals he made. Not the Towering Inferno. You're kidding. Yeah. Nope. That's clearly the movie he'll be remembered for. That's right. It's <laughs> like Gene Kelly will be remembered for Xanadu. Xanadu, yes, exactly. Oh, gosh. Well, anyway, uh, so Eastern Promises, David Cronenberg's Eastern Promises uh, from 2007 has been also issued on 4K Ultra HD, and this has a new scan. Um, for people, the, uh, people like that movie. Yeah, that's true, and it is good. I mean, you know, what can you say about the... Uh, <laughs> the uh, the fight in the uh, oh yeah <laughs> the, the the nude fight <laughs> shall that's, we say that's the movie that Howard Shore came on the show to promote oh yeah that's correct you know, that, yeah and they say that Cronenberg's uh, new movie that's about to premiere at Cannes mm-hmm. is going to be more controversial than Crash really I like said towards the end of that movie it's going to be a real test of what you're made of if you can sit through it. Mm. I don't know if yeah. that's hyperbole or not, but be interesting to see. Mm. Well, you know what? I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that that Cronenberg's back in the game and you know not playing it safe, I'm trying to 
still shake him up at, in, as he approaches 80. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Something about that I like. Yeah, me too. And anyway, yeah, he could he could easily play it safe, but no, he chooses not to. Good for him. Good for him. So anyway, we'll move along to a couple of uh, Rock Hudson comedies that were also issued by Kino. In the month, there was um, Man's Favorite Sport with Paula Prentice as the uh, female co-star. It's kind of a, uh, an homage to those screwball comedies from the 30s, bringing up Baby, stuff like that. Um, it's, it's in that vein. It's um, there's a new audio commentary by filmmaker historian Michael Schlesinger. And select remarks by co-star Paula Prentice and actor-director Richard Med- Richard Benjamin. Sorry. So anyway, A Strange Bedfellows uh, has Rock Hudson paired up with Gina Lola Brigida and Gig Young. And um, this has a new audio commentary by film historian Eddie Von Mueller. And we also have the 1979 film Fast Charlie and the Moonbeam Rider. That's David Carradine and Brenda Vaccaro. And it's uh, it's an, a Roger Corman production uh, that takes place during the 20s and World War One, and it's about a guy who uh, dreams of being the first person to win a transnational motorcycle race. And we have you know uh, Brenda Vaccaro's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Ah, uh, gosh. So so whenever they do, whenever he does the director's cut, we'll actually see her scenes because as oh, as it is now, we just see the back of her head. When Pacino sits next to her in the screening room. Uh-huh. Because I guess they're married in it or something. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. that's that's great. Um, is he is the director's cut of that actually forthcoming? Are they going to... I hope so. I don't. Uh, I hope so. I'm Tarantino, I think he's about to direct some episodes of whatever that Justified sequel series is. Oh, yeah. With Timothy Oliphant, but I think mm-hmm. he's still in L.A., so one would hope he can find the time to put that together. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'd love it. I wish they'd put it back in theaters, you know, in an extended cut. I'd go for it, for sure. Um, so Fast Charlie, the Moonbeam Rider, has a And you know who audio... Tim Roth plays? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm no, no, go on, you. go on. You know who Tim Roth plays? Hmm, no, I mean, no, his, I don't. His part was completely cut out. I, I rem- was going to say, I didn't recall seeing him in it. He plays J.C. Brings Br- uh, Butler. Oh, geez. That's good casting. No. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I promise I won't interrupt again. Go no, ahead. it's it's all good. It's all good. There's it's interesting factoids that I didn't know. It's good, and I should know. But anyway, um, no, I was just gonna say there's a new audio commentary by film historian Eddie Von Mueller for this uh, Fast Charlie the Moonbeam Rider, and then we have Zoot Suit from 1981. It's directed by Luis Valdez, stars Edward James Olmos and Daniel Valdez and Tyne mm. Daly. And it uh, it's based it's a dramatization on of the uh, Zoot Suit riots that rocked 1940s Los Angeles, and um, you know it's uh, it it has a new interview actually with the writer director Luis Valdez, and new audio commentary by uh, filmmaker and historian Daniel Creamer. Oh, then yeah. we have he's been on the show. Yeah, he, I was thinking he talked that. about uh, what's the. The lawyer, the movie, the, he did the Brando movie, and then he did a Sinatra movie. He wrote a book about the guy. What's his name? The director. And he directed The, the Lawyer. Um, gosh. I'm trying to think who, I know, I know uh, Barry Newman was in The Lawyer, but. Yeah. 
But I can't think of who the director is. Was. Hang on. The lawyer, nineteen seventy. <laughs> I'm gonna waste everyone's time so I can look this uh, up. Well, hey, uh, no Sydney Fury, Sydney Fury. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Very good. Yeah, he's written a book about him. You said he did. So he came. He came on the movie Geek Yearbook show to talk about the lawyer since it was a 1970 release. And interestingly, that movie instead of Barry Newman, it was originally pitched to uh, because it, it's essentially the story of. Um, uh, Dr. Richard Kimball or whatever and the one-armed man, the fugitive, what became right, the fugitive. Sure. And uh, they were going to have um, him... Uh, the Gosh, my mind isn't working. <laughs> F. Lee Bailey play himself in the movie as the lead character. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank God been... they went another way. I was going to say, that would have been an interesting But I remember like reaching out to F. Lee Bailey... <laughs> because <laughs> ah. you know i'm a completist so sure. and he responded but we never connected by phone and then he died well, that would have been crazy if he had if you'd actually gotten to interview the uh uh F. Lee bailey about a film that he didn't yeah. get to make uh, that would have been great would've i, I like the oddity of that like the uh, yeah yeah oh yeah for sure mm. Well, Now and Forever is a 1934 drama that stars Gary Cooper, Carol Lombard, and Shirley Temple, actually. Um, that's being issued also by Kino Lorber Studio Classics. It has a new audio commentary by Lee Gambin, our good friend Lee Gambin, Gambin who's been on with us several times, and the costume historian Elisa Rose. And we also have Backstreet, which was remade several times, I think. Uh, I think this was the second version of it, actually. Is that a Beatles thing or a young John Lennon thing? Or No, this is uh, the uh, the one about the two, Charles Boyer and this one, Margaret Sullivan. and their t- It's based oh, on the uh, yeah. Fanny Hurst novel. Okay. Susan Hayward did it in 61, I think. What's the young John Lennon? And it's called Back That's something. Backbeat. Backbeat. Back okay, so you can see where I made the mistake. Yeah, it's close. You were, you were in the ballpark, my friend. Uh, well, Backstreet is, uh, I've seen the, actually, Kino released the 61 version with, um, Susan Hayward a couple of year, a couple of months back, and it's, it's, it's good of those glossy Technicolor melodramas. You'd swear it was directed by, um, uh, uh by Douglas Sirk, if you didn't know better, but mm. it is not, alas, but this is a, a previous version from 1941. Same story. It's basically about two people who, um, to who um, are uh, in love with each other, but they're uh, married, but not to each other, I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> and they they can't seem to consummate their affair or, or, or make it, you know, get away from their spouses or whatever. And it's uh, it ends in tragedy, as these type of things do. But anyway, it's 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 an effective tearjerker. Uh, new audio commentary by. Lee Gambin again, and costume historian Elisa Rose. So, uh, Irving Berlin's Blue Sky, starring Bean Crosby, Fred Astaire, and Joan Caulfield from 1946. And that's been issued as well with a, a new commentary by Simon Abrams. And we have a triple feature of sci-fi films from Edgar G. Ulmer. And that would be The Man from Planet X, Beyond the Time Barrier, and The Amazing Transparent Man. Now, all of those in one collection and we have Shakedown from 1950, which is a film noir starring Howard uh, Duff and Brian Donlevy and Lawrence Tierney. 
and Rock Hudson uh, before he was really a lot of Rock Hudson titles every month. I know this was uh, this was early before he was a known entity. Seems like he pops up every month though. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, they've they've been putting out a lot of his stuff. You're right. Starflight One is a sci-fi thriller that was actually a TV film. And I think it was called Starflight, The Plane That Couldn't Land, I think was the original made-for-TV title. This is the theatrical cut of this film, which stars Lee Majors, Lauren Hutton, Hal Linden, Ray Milland, Robert Weber, Gail Strickland. And it has special effects by John Dykstra. And it's about one of those, uh, you know, super-fast planes that runs into trouble. It's kind of a disaster thing. And uh, no extras here, but um, anyway, this is a... Uh, Aquino Code Red. They distribute the Code Red product as well. So, uh, and uh, also the Love Life of a Cop, Dirty O'Neill, uh, is a 1974 action comedy that stars Art Matrano and Anitra Ford. And that's also being in Dagmar's Hot Pants Incorporated from Jesus, 1971. <laughs> Robert Strauss stars in this one. Uh, we have Screams of a Winter Night from 1979. And we have, um, let's see, and a couple of Kino titles that uh, for Cohen Films, they also distribute their product as well. And one is a new 4K restoration of Joan Micklin Silver's mm. film debut, Hester Street, which uh, features Academy Award nominee Carol Kane. She's nominated for this film. Uh, this has always been a well-regarded black and white film about, uh, it stars, um, uh, Stephen Keats plays her husband, and he has come to New York City in the 1890s, and he's getting um, acclimated to the ways and the customs of America, and his wife, played by Carol Kane, is not there yet. She comes later on, and she uh, is kind of uh, aghast at how quickly he has assimilated, and she can't uh, get over the fact that he's kind of ditched his Jewish heritage and all this stuff, and uh, it's it's a you know it's it's a good movie it's it's a good movie I'm not going to say it's great but it's a good movie it's beautifully photographed and Carol Kane's great in it and uh, it was good to see them do a restoration on this um, there's two new interviews with Joe Micklin Silver who just passed away either last year or the year before I can't remember uh, I think this was done right before her she was I think uh, had Alzheimer's or something uh, she was having some sort of a mental you know issues unfortunately archival audio commentary track that she did years ago uh, archival interviews with cast and crew member Stephen Keats of course has been gone a long time he committed suicide in the early 90s so he's not uh, involved here with any of these but restoration trailer and original opening title sequence and outtakes with audio commentary by Daniel Creamer again so mm. there we go Hester Street the Oscar nominee from 1975 filmed in glorious black and white has been issued by, um, that's Cohen Media, actually, but distributed by Kino. Let's just say that. So, anyway, uh, we have that, and we have Shooter, starring Mark, Mark Wahlberg, and that uh, directed by Anton Fuqua. We just mentioned him a while back, and this has been uh, reissued in a 15th anniversary edition, first time on 4K. And it has a new, a uh, kind of archive features. I don't think there's anything really new here. Survival of the Fittest, The Making of Shooter, Independence Hall, and Seven Deleted Scenes. And uh, like I said, you've got Mark Wahlberg and Michael Pena and Danny Glover and Kate Mara and um, Ned Beatty, the late Ned Beatty yeah. and Shooter. So we have that. 
And we have a couple of Warner Archive titles we can talk about here. One of them is a pretty big deal. Uh, the Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm has been issued by Warner Archive. It's in a deluxe two-disc special edition. And this is uh, one of two um, actual narrative films that were released in the Cinerama format. And this is where, you know, you had three separate strips of film that were projected with three different projectors onto three separate screens in a dome situation. And uh, they have tried to replicate that on this in a smile box edition, which is a, a little different from letterbox. You know, you've got one disc that has the letterbox version, which is super wide. And then you have a, um, it's actually 2.89 to one. So it's very, very wide. But then the smile box version replicates the three separate, projector process that they have and so it 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 has like a smile the uh, the framing looks like a smile that you would see if you were in a domed situation so it's and that's the way i would uh, re, um if i were to give people advice as to which version to watch that would be the smile box version because it and it really looks astounding i gotta tell you it's not i saw this movie when i was a kid it was reissued in the late 70s and i saw it in our local theater i'd not seen it probably in 45 years or more and I just remembered that, um, you know, it's basically the story of the Brothers Grimm and three of their most famous stories are reenacted in the film. And that's essentially what it is. But uh, I remember there's one with Buddy Hackett slaying a dragon. And uh, I was a big giant monster fan when I was a kid. So that's the one that I remembered. And that's the third of the stories in the film. And George Powell does the special effects. Of course, he did the time machine and, you know, War of the Worlds, the original. So he's involved with the effects here. And there's some animation that's pretty clever and stuff. And uh, But uh, as far as the picture and sound quality on this disc, I got to tell you, it is amazing. The uh, the presentation is mm. simply amazing. It looks like 4K, even though it's only Blu-ray. It rivals 4K discs that I've seen. And I got to say, it's it's if you're looking for a, a, a disc to demonstrate the beauty of 4K, uh, this wonderful world of the Brothers Grimm is pretty amazing. It really is with what they've what they've uh, accomplished in this restoration. So uh, I gotta say, if you're a fan of the film, or if you or if you just like center films that were shot in Cinerama, uh, it's which this one was. I think How the West Was Won was the other that they shot in Cinerama. Uh, it's pretty amazing what they've done with this disc release and it is a two disc special edition as i said and there's some um, there's radio interviews with russ tamblin here radio interviews with the late uh, recently deceased yvette mimiu who is in, also in the film epic art of the brothers grim featurette and the wonderful career of george powell and then there's a 40 minute documentary about how they uh, restored the film called rescuing a fantasy classic documentary so Anyway, the wonderful world of the Brothers Grimm from the good folks at Warner Archive just really doing superlative work over there, as they always do. And uh, I'll go ahead and talk about another one of their their titles, uh, restored from the original Technicolor Negatives, the original A Star is Born from 1937. And uh, actually, this is my favorite of all the A Star is Borns, to be quite honest, because... Uh, I know a lot of people like the Judy Garland version, and I'm fine with it. I like the Judy Garland version, but this is the one I like because this one is just so – I don't know. It has such a cynical attitude about Hollywood, and <laughs> it, it really does. And, and it's – it's. I was shocked. I had never seen it before because I felt like maybe it was a product of its time. But the movie opens up with a the, the first page of the film's script. <laughs> That's how the film opens up. 
and you're actually reading the first page of the script and then it you know moves into the film itself and so you know it's kind of an insider's view of what hollywood was in 1937 and it, it is it's very cynical uh and it's the same basic story that we've seen in all the other you know she's on the rise and he's on the the way down but uh it was filmed in technicolor uh, and for a 1937 production that didn't happen a lot but this was david oselznik who was um involved with this he was the producer and the uh it was directed by william a wellman but uh i was quite taken with this i have to admit um and they did a terrific restoration on it and i think of all the uh, stars born uh, the, of the versions of it and i admire all of them really except the 76 one which you know the music is is not bad but it's it's probably the least of them but uh, yeah. the other three are the, the other two are solid the obviously the one with you know the bradley cooper version and the the Judy Garland version are both great, but this one is really good. Uh, I would say it's just a notch above those, and it's um, you know it's only an hour and fifty-one minutes, the shortest of them all, I think. So, uh, anyway, um, kudos to Warner Archive for that, uh, and to Lux Radio Theater Broadcasts with Janet Gaynor and Robert Montgomery as uh, on uh, as extras, and we have um, a classic Warner Brothers cartoon, A Star Is Hatched. <laughs> and also classic Warner Brothers shorts, uh, Mal Hallett and his orchestra taking the count and alibi mark and the trailer. So there you go. Another Warner Archive release. And the third one of the month would be James Cagney's. Uh, he stars in uh, Captains of the Cloud in Technicolor, also starring Dennis Morgan. This was from, I think it was from 1942, actually. And it's... Uh, it's a World War II yarn. Uh, it's about a, a guy who wants to fight in, in the war, but he gets an assignment uh, uh, flying new unarmed bombers across the Atlantic to England, and, and then an enemy plane swoops out of the endless sky and spits still at the helpless bombers, and if there was a time for him to prove his skill, well, this is it. So anyway, we have uh, Captain of the Clouds from 1942 in Technicolor, and um, it also uh, includes a 1942 newsreel and cartoons, What's Cooking, Doc, and Hold the Lion, Please. So there you go. Hmm. So that's what we have. And then, of course, I guess the, the piece de resistance, as they say, uh, of the month, the one everybody's talking about is the Godfather 4K release that has been, you know, the big talk of the home theater market. And, uh, yes, I, I did get a chance to look at uh, the first one. I did get a chance to look at what they've done with the second and third one, but I did get a chance to look at the first one. It, it is pretty amazing. Apparently, this was a... Uh, multi-year uh, deal where they it took several two or three years I can't remember which uh, of the doing the restoration on this going through tons of cartons of film uh, looking for the best uh, best footage that they could find of the original takes that were used in the film and um, there's you know I know Gordon Willis was not happy with some of the the what what he got from the lab back in the day and uh, he some of the some of the stuff was underexposed, he felt like. and uh, So they've tried to correct everything as close as they could, and they've actually restored the original uh, 2.0 audio. All the releases of The Godfather on home video in, in the disc era have been in the 5.1 surround sound, um, and they decided to go back and uh, include the 5.1, but also the original mono tracks, which I think is great. Yeah. Uh, it's always good to hear what the original sound mix was. And so, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's that. And it has three cuts. A lot of people are wondering, you know, well, what, what about the deal on the third film? You know, they just did the, the uh, coda, the death of Michael Corleone. Well, it's on here. 
and it's the one that Francis Coppola prefers that you watch, He's, as he says in an intro at the beginning of the first film. But in case you're like me and you weren't so bowled over with uh, what they did with the third film when they recut it, uh, you do have the option of seeing Godfather Part 3 in both its theatrical and its home video version. Now, the theatrical cut has not been seen since 1990 that I'm aware of. Because it was never issued on video, it's never been issued anywhere except in the theaters. And it's ten minutes shorter than the version that we've come to know on home video, uh, because there was, uh, and I think there's some reshuffling of the scenes at the beginning of the film. Uh, there was some footage, I think, where it shows the ruins of the, uh, the compound at the beginning of the film. Uh, that was not in the theatrical version, I don't believe, and there's a couple other things, but, um, Anyway, if you if you want to see the original theatrical cut as it was released in December of 1990, it's it's here along with the other two, and there's a all the other previous archived extras. You know, there's an hour, of 15 minutes of deleted scenes, of course, that were later included in the uh, the Godfather saga when they ed- re-edited the films and put them made them one long film number one and two. They did, and they put all these deleted scenes back in, but they've all been retained here ex- as extras. And you also have 8mm films, silent 8mm films that were taken on the set while they were shooting the film that have never been seen before. So this is the first that you can get in this new collection. So, um, you know, what more can you say about the Godfather films? I mean, they're just... They're just great. Rewatching that first one to see what the quality was on this upgrade, it was... uh, It's just the little moments that you just love, and, you know, it's just... I I don't know, it's just... um, it's great. They're great. I don't, there's nothing else you can say about it. So, uh, but anyway, highly, highly recommended the uh, the 4K Ultra HD issue of uh, the Godfather trilogy. And I would say this is the final word on home video for these films. I don't think there's ever going to be anything uh, beyond this. This is this is it. Uh, so, um, and probably the last. And it's kind of sad when I have when I say this, but it's true that this is probably the last time you're ever going to see these films released on home video unless they reissue them or something. You know, there's not going to be... Uh, this is it. Yeah. And it's, we're getting to that the end of the line for, you know, because the human eye can only detect so much picture information, and once you get past 4K, there's not much room, not much reason to do it. And so, um, anyway. Uh, speaking of 4K releases, another one that has been issued in 4K from one of our most revered directors, and rightfully so, would be The Last Waltz has been issued in 4K with a new director-approved transfer from Martin Scorsese himself. And this has a, a, as I said, new 4K digital restoration uh, with the 5.1 surround sound uh, DTS master audio soundtrack, which is great for the musical performances. Two alternate soundtracks, you get the original 1978 2.0 surround mix, and then you get an uncompressed stereo mix from 2001. You get two commentaries featuring Scorsese, members of the band, members of the production crew, performers Dr. John, Ronnie Hawkins, and Mavis Staples. You get a new interview with Scorsese conducted by critic David Fear, a documentary from 2002 about the making of the film Outtake, interview from 1978 with Scorsese and Robertson, trailer and TV spot. So uh, pretty good uh, job they've done with The Last Waltz. Who really did it? That's a Criterion. That's okay. Criterion. So, and it looks great, and they've done a really, really nice job with that. So, um, I just wanted to mention uh, that as well. So, let's see, um, some other stuff that has been issued. Belfast, uh, the Oscar nominee for Best Picture, has been 
has made his way to home video. Um, there's also a James Bond, the Daniel Craig collection, which uh, put, brings all of the uh, the Daniel Craig films together in one box set in 4K Ultra HD. So we have that. And then Flea, the uh, the nominee for uh, Best Animated Film this year, uh, that uh, also has been issued on home video. Phenomena has been issued. The uh, Dario Argento horror film starring Jennifer Connelly has been issued in 4K. Uh, didn't get a review copy of that, so I can't really attest to the quality of it, but I hear it's really, it really looks great. And um, that's um, you know worth mentioning. Grindhouse Releasing has done a restoration on the uh, 1977 film Death Game, which was remade as Knock Knock by director Eli Roth in 2015. This is the original with um, Sandra Locke mm. is, is in this, uh, Seymour Cassell. Um, yeah, it's basically about two girls who are stranded, and they come knocking at Seymour Cassell's door and Ask if they can use the phone, and well, you know, one thing leads to another, and they pretty much torture him all night long. And so they try to seduce Seymour Cassell. Uh, they do, yes. Huh. You heard that right. <laughs> you well, know, you know what Keanu just signed up for, right? What was it? What? They've been talking about that Devil in the White City, uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio forever. Uh huh. Yes. About that yes, serial yes. killer H. H. Holmes. I think that's what that right. was, that's about. Uh, so they're going to make it into like an Apple miniseries or something, and Keanu Reeves is going to star in it. Oh, great. It's a good role for him. Yeah. I, I could see him doing that. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I, uh, I I think he's reached a point where he, he can be a little, you know, choosier with his roles, I guess. Yeah, so... um. Anyway, we'll uh, go through the rest of the Criterion titles right quick while we're at it. Uh, Love Jones has been issued by Criterion uh, in a new director-approved special edition. This is the 1997 uh, romance from the writer-director Theodore Witcher, starring Larens Tate and Neil Long. He's a poet and she's a photographer <laughs> who spark over their love of literature and jazz. This is uh, has new interviews with the director and film scholar Raquel Gates. New interview with uh, music scholars Mark Anthony Neal and Shauna Redman, and a panel discussion featuring the director and members of the cast and crew. Hmm. So we have that. We have um, the Flight of the Phoenix, the uh, early disaster film. There, it's about the the plane that crashes and James Stewart's the pilot and he's trying to keep everybody together until they can get rescued. All that stuff. It was remade a couple of years ago. Uh, but I think the original is much better. Richard Attenborough, Ernest Borgnine, Ian Bannon, Dan Durea, uh, Peter Finch, George Kennedy, and they all crash land in the remote Sahara. <laughs> anyway, there's a new conversation between filmmaker Walter Hill and film scholar Al Alan Silver. New interview with biographer Donald Dewey on actor James Stewart. And the trailer. And then we have the, uh, the 1970 film Le Circle Rouge with Alain Delon as a master thief out of prison who crosses paths with a notorious escapee and an alcoholic ex-cop played by Yves Montand. And this uh, includes segments from a 1971 of Sinist de Notre-Temps featuring director Jean-Pierre Melville, interviews with assistant director Bernard Stora, and on-set and archival footage featuring interviews with Melville and actors Alain Delon and Yves Montand, essays as well, so... Anyway, that is your criterion for the month. Oh, I forgot. Alain, Alain Delon, didn't he just come come out and say he wants to be euthanized? 
No, I haven't heard that. Isn't he the actor that did that? You may have. I don't know. I knew he was still around, but I haven't heard that. Yeah. That's sad. Really sad. Gosh. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I don't know what to say about that one. Yeah, there's nothing That's... more to say. No, <laughs> there isn't. That's for sure. Well, the 1975 film Adoption, which was... Uh, uh, it's uh, about the experiences of women in 1970s Hungary, which and it won the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival. Uh, it features uh, new video essays, interviews with the director, a 1964 short film by the director. Uh, and so that is out as well from Criterion. So that's your Criterion for the month of, uh, of March. But anyway, we were talking about Death Game earlier. No, that's um, the one uh, that was remade as Knock Knock. That's... Uh, it's an interesting story about that because Seymour Cassell apparently was so angry. There's a scene in the movie where they torture him with food. They they literally uh, take chocolate syrup and put it on his face and stuff. And he was so angry and outraged with what they were doing in that scene, he refused to come back and loop his lines. So the uh, the cameraman in the film had to do all of Seymour Cassell's lines. So his oh. lines are not even spoken by Seymour Cassell in the film. It's kind of an interesting aside for anybody who hasn't seen the film. It gives it a very odd quality. It's just a it's a bizarre film, I have to admit. Uh, and that was one I did get to see this month and I'd always wanted to. But Death Game from 1977, it's uh it's it's a curio for sure. And And, and uh, who came out with Death Game? Who did that? That was Grindhouse releasing. Okay. It's long been hard to find. It was shot in the uh the, the uh, Pan, in Panavision and it's always been, you know, it's been out there on YouTube but never in its proper aspect. So it's good to finally get it, you know. Uh, where it needs to be in terms of its picture quality. Uh, Coming to America, the sequel to Coming to America. Uh, the, um, you know, the Eddie Murphy, I don't know what to say about that. It, I was very underwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's uh, not not good in my estimation. But anyway, <laughs> um, The Matrix Resurrections. Oh, the, the Coming to America's uh, Paramount release. Matrix Resurrections has been uh, issued in 4K along with a box set that includes all four of the films. So uh, if you're a Matrix completist, well, there you go. Uh, Downton Abbey, the film, the 2019 film, has been issued in 4K from Universal. Darby O'Gill and the Little People has been issued by Disney on Blu-ray. Uh, that was one of the earliest films for uh, Sean Connery, I believe. And also the Gnome Mobile from 1967. Both of those, uh, I think you got to be a member of the Disney Movie Club, where you, it's kind of like the Columbia Record House. You used to, you know, you buy one, you you get three for like a dollar or something, and a dollar a piece, and you have to buy so many at regular price. It's, but they release these titles exclusively to the the Disney Movie Club, so I think you can Google that and figure out how to get them. If you're interested, oh, let's see what else we have here. Just a few other things. Oh, let's see. Ordinary People has made its way to Blu-ray for the first time ever. The Oscar winner for Best Picture of 1980. Robert Redford made his directorial debut. It's a very powerful drama, I would say, based on the acclaimed novel by Judith Guest uh, about uh, a family torn apart by tension and tragedy when the younger, uh, one of the sons of this couple played by Mary Tyler Moore and Donald Sutherland, one of their sons uh, drowns and they're dealing with that and the brother is dealing with the guilt as well and 
Uh, you got Judd Hirsch as the psychiatrist in the film, and uh, you know it's a new 4K film transfer overseen by Redford. And uh, we get new interviews here with Judith Guest and actor Timothy Hutton. Uh, I think it's a very powerful movie. Um, a lot of people have always said, you know, that uh, Mary Tyler Moore played that role a little bit too well. <laughs> no, she's great in it. God. Yeah. And that uh, I mean that she was maybe she wasn't. There have always been whispers that maybe she wasn't playing. That maybe that was really closer to yeah. The real Mary but I Tyler. mean, there's such subtlety in that performance. I, it's true. It's true. You know, and even if you, I don't think she was playing herself, but even if you're playing yourself in a movie, that's still hard. It is. It is. Play yourself in dialogue that we've written for you mm-hmm. with a camera yeah. two inches from your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Well, anyway, we a couple other things here. Uh, an American Werewolf in London has been issued by Arrow in a 4K edition that retains all of the previous extras that were... Uh, on the previous editions from Arrow, is, which is, is ordinary people 4K? No, it's Blu-ray. It's a 4K transfer that was just they didn't do the 4K disc release, but it is a 4K transfer to Blu-ray. So okay. I don't know why they just didn't go ahead and do the 4K, but what do I know? Um, but yeah, American Werewolf in London has been issued in 4K, which interestingly enough, on the Blu-ray charts, that was number we number one for two weeks in a row on wow. in terms of sales, which I thought was interesting in spite of all the. The new releases that are out there of newer titles. I mean, a movie that's 41 years old was number one on the uh, Blu-ray charts for two weeks running. Mm. So uh, it's that that made me smile. I have to admit. Um, but yeah, it looks great. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's it's a terrific um, upgrade, and uh, the original edition had tons of great extras. There's a, a a documentary that's longer than the actual film about the making of it. It's uh, really good stuff. And so if you didn't get the other one, the Blu-ray edition, well, I would recommend the 4K American Werewolf in London. Great great horror film, of course, from the 80s. And we have The Sword and the Sorcerer from 1982. That's a uh, Scream Factory release that has been issued in 4K as well. Used to play on cable quite a bit yeah. back in the day. Uh, Dream a Little Dream from 1989 is one of the Vestron Collectors edition series. That's they've been that Lionsgate's been putting out uh, this uh, Corey Haim in this I think Jason Roberts I think is in this seems like it's bizarre casting but Jason anyway. Roberts yeah yeah I think so I huh. think he's in it I could be wrong but anyway uh, nevertheless wasn't it one of those uh, body switch comedies that N- I think so? no well maybe remember? maybe I can't I, even remember that's a uh, Corey Haim Corey Feldman and the uh, yeah. Right? Aren't they in it? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, it's the two chords, yeah. Yeah, and then they did the one about the car, or the a girl in the trunk of the car or something. Oh, yeah, that's, um... Gosh, I can't think of the name of it, but yeah, another one you're talking about? License to Drive, maybe? License to Drive, that's it. And yes. it, was the theme song of that, was it the Billy Ocean song? Get Out get of My out Dreams, of Get Into My it, Car? It may have been. There you go. I can't remember. This, this brain is full of useful, useless mm. knowledge. Oh, here, same here, same here, right there with you. Yep, for sure. Yeah, well, anyway, Dream a Little Dream has been issued in a new uh, special Blu-ray edition with a few new extras from uh, Lionsgate. And then we have West Side Story being issued both in Blu-ray and 4K. This is the new Steven Spielberg adaptation. There's some new uh, featurettes, obviously uh, nominated for, uh, you know, Best Picture. What uh, did you see it? What did you think? Uh 
you yeah we talked about it at length yeah last okay. month yeah that's oh, right we did we did yes i liked did. it okay that's correct we did talk about it i'd forgotten all about that my short-term memory anyway <laughs> red rocket also from last year which i, I was need surprised. to see that i need to see it's that. good it's good yeah i was surprised that that was shot out of the awards uh chatter but uh, nevertheless uh it's it's worth seeing for sure it's the latest from sean baker who gave us the florida project a couple of years ago it's about a porn star uh, moving back to his small town, former porn star moving back to his small town and trying to uh trying trying to figure out the next phase in his life it's uh, it's it's very much a product of the type of films that sean baker does and if you like if you respond to his stuff you're gonna like it so anyway the accused from 1988 uh jody foster won an oscar for this uh, this has been issued on Blu-ray for the first time by Paramount. So uh, never no Blu-ray release prior to this, but now we have it. And the Amazing Spider-Man collection. This is the two with uh, Andrew Garfield. They're being issued in 4K. That's a Sony release, of course. And then we have it's uh, Rifkin's Festival, the, uh, the latest Woody Allen film from 2020. Which uh, was finally finally got a stateside release released overseas last year and released. I liked it. I have to admit, uh, much more than I expected to. Uh, I um, I thought it was 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 charming. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed some of the uh, some of his uh, uh, basically homages to or parodies, I should say, of classic foreign films. Uh, I responded to that, and I don't know. There's, there's a lot of good stuff there. I thought it was it was much better than than some of his other. Uh, uh, efforts here of late a little bit a little bit stronger but anyway i wonder if he's gonna there's talk that he's gonna do another movie i wonder if he's actually going to or not i guess it remains to be seen so um anyway nightmare from 1964 is a hammer horror film uh that's being issued by scream factory that has uh it's that's making its way to uh to blu-ray this month with some new extras new commentaries and all that stuff and so I wanted to mention that one. A couple of uh, releases from 88 films. Uh, they're they're gradually releasing all of the Shaw Brothers catalog, and two of those have made it uh, made their way to Blu-ray this month. One is Monkey Kung Fu, and uh, that's uh, and then the other one is uh, Shaolin Mantis. And I got a chance to watch Monkey Kung Fu. It was uh it was, it was really entertaining in that Shaw Brothers way. I have to admit. It's uh, basically about a prisoner who's given half of a wooden keepsake uh, by a one-eyed master about to be executed, and his mission is to go and find the other half of it and and uh, find out, uh, you know, discover its purpose. And uh, it was it was fun. Some amaz- amazing uh, kung fu sequences and just you know just just fun and the way those Shaw Brothers films were. So anyway, Monkey Kung Fu and Shaolin Mantis, which I hope to get to soon, is another one uh, being released by 88 Films. And we have a couple of releases from um, Sandpiper releasing as a new company. I think it's Sandpiper. I think that's yeah. the name of it. Uh, they've somehow licensed some of these MGM titles, and they're putting them out. They've they've got um, It's My Party from 1996 is coming out, directed by Randall Kleiser. And it seems like there's another one. Let's see. Um, um, yeah, there is another one coming out from them, but I can't. You can't recall what it was, but anyway, definitely um, uh, putting putting some of the MGM catalog titles. I think they're getting ready to do Bound for Glory. It's in out of print for a while. Oh, American Pimp, that's one from 1999. Sorry, that's the one I was thinking about. 
And we have a reissue of the 1995 film, The Incredible True Adventure of Two Girls in Love, which was kind of ahead of its time. It was a, you know, about two, two uh, lesbians finding love with each other and all that in the days before that wasn't really in the culture as much as it is now. So um, anyway, uh, we have a couple other things here. Nightmare Alley, which... Uh, has been issued in 4K, Guillermo del Toro's latest, which I was kind of underwhelmed by. Didn't didn't hate it, but certainly didn't love it. Um, the Core from 2003 has been issued as a Shout Select title. Uh, so they've uh, the uh, you know, they they put that out with some new extras, new commentaries, and and whatnot. And then we have Come Drink with Me as an Arrow release. That's one of the final films of the Shaw Brothers Studio. Uh, so I wanted to mention. That one, that's got new extras, too, and new commentaries, uh, featurettes, all that stuff. And To Sleep So As to Dream from 1986 is another Arrow release with uh, a new restoration and some um, some new extras, too. And I'm just trying to make sure I haven't missed anything. Uh, all the Godfather titles that we mentioned previously are being issued separately, too. You, you can get the box set, but you can also get them separately. Blue Underground is releasing Vigilante from 1982 in, uh, I think, 4K and Blu-ray. That stars Robert Forster as the uh, Vigilante of the film's title. So. Hmm. And Drop Dead Fred from 1991. Vinegar Syndrome is issuing that one. Uh, that's on its way, if it, uh, it came out actually March 29th, it's here already. Reform School Girls from 1986. Yes. Sure. <laughs> I think that's a trauma release, maybe. Uh, Flesh for Frankenstein is being issued in 4K, also known as Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. And uh, that was originally shot in 3D in 1973, directed by Paul Morrissey. And uh, it's, um, I think that's a Vinegar Syndrome uh, no, it may be Synapse. I'm not sure. It's one of those two. Anyway. Um, and House on the Edge of the Park. That is a Synapse release from 1980. That's a horror film entry. That, um, and then Marry Me, the uh, the, the latest with um, J-Lo and <laughs> Owen Wilson, romantic comedy. Came out around Valentine's Day. And she's a pop star, slated to marry her fiancé on stage, but then marries a stranger from the audience instead, yada, yada, yada. So, yeah. So, anyway, uh, I think it did some business. I'm not sure. Uh, Meat Cleaver Massacre from 1977 is another Vinegar Syndrome release. And and I think that may be just about it. I believe that's it for the month. I don't think there's anything I've missed. Okay. Yeah, that about covers our... Blu-ray titles for the month of March. 